Welcome to the Teachers to Tech podcast. I'm your host, Dean. This is the podcast where we tell you how you can grow your tech skills, whether you're starting from scratch or just want to go farther. You might be thinking about a new job, a whole new career, or just a new hobby. We'll have something for everyone, so keep listening. Our topic for today is foundational. You won't have to do a lot of research for this one. There are projects to try. We are simply going to go over some terms that are basic electrical and electronic terms, and they'll help you out a lot. Well, what do you mean? Why would this help me out? Well, if you're interested in things like STEM projects for teachers or STEM projects for yourself, you're going to want to know some terminology that is discussed with those projects and their instructions. But some of the things we talk about are going to involve you everyday life, like the current that runs through your house wiring or how an AM radio works. And so we're going to get some of that under our belt, so to speak, today by just quickly going through some very basic ideas. Let's first start off with the idea of a circuit. Now, circuit is Latin for circle, and our electrons, what electricity is, right? Our electrons are moving in a path that needs to be complete, meaning they need to really basically end up where they started in a way. So if an electron leaves a battery from its positive end, it's got to move through a circuit and come back around to the negative end. And there has to be a complete path or we don't really get any current, the movement of electrons, happening. Think of it this way. You probably, as a kid, had a flashlight that didn't always work. And so you might have to shake it. You might open it up and bang it around, push the batteries in tighter, stretch that string that was on the back of the cap. You remember that? Jam the thing back in, shake the switch back and forth, hoping it'll make good contact. And finally, that path was complete. The batteries touched each other. One battery touched the front where the bulb was. The switch was in place, all closed up. And that spring that made contact with the back of the other battery was touching it. And when everything happened, then for just a little bit, that flashlight lit up. And then the bulb shook loose and it was out again because the bulb wasn't making contact. You get the point. We have to have electrons flowing in a continuous path or they're not going to flow. Along the way, we can stick some things in that path, like that bulb that gave off some light as a result of having electricity run through its filament. And we have different items that we can call components that will go in those circuits that will get the work done that we need. All right, where does electricity come from in the first place? Well, we're going to talk about how it's generated, mostly. And we can create electricity with a simple process, and that is by moving coils inside a magnetic field. You've been to places where you've seen a rotisserie chicken spinning. So imagine instead of that chicken, we've got a coil and around that chicken, instead of an oven, we've got magnets. So now we've got a coil moving inside magnets. Well, those magnets have a magnetic field. You know this because as a kid in class, you either had to put a magnet under a paper and sprinkle iron filings over and shake them until they made the path that was the magnetic field around that magnet. Or you've seen those toys where you could take a magnet over a piece of cardboard and make the iron filings look like a beard and funny hair on a, on a guy that was a cartoon guy. And they would take on that pattern that magnetic field was creating 
based on that magnetic item that was at the end of the pencil you were playing with, right? So imagine that this coil is spinning through these magnetic fields. The magnetic fields are causing the electrons in the coil to move. We're creating current. We're creating electricity there. Now, we could set up a generator like that to give us a constant flow of current from one contact and current would be flowing the other way at the other contact. This would always be roughly at the same voltage level and we would call that direct current. In addition to generators that give us direct current, there are also generators that give us alternating current like the ones that supply our homes. This way, we are raising our current up to a certain level, dropping it back down, and then having it travel in the opposite direction. There is a point where we peak in one direction, a point where we peak in another direction, and as we are reversing, we are going through the point where we've generated zero for just a brief fraction of a second. Every time we go from zero to positive to negative to zero again, we consider that to be a cycle. We say we have so many cycles per second or hertz. You've heard of this frequency that your router works on with radio waves or your AM radio, etc. That's frequency. Because we're hitting zero every so often, we have a point where we're not really getting any power at all. So we sometimes build generators that will have three different lines of power coming off and they're not in sync with each other. We say they're out of phase. We have three phases. So at any one time when we hit zero on one line, we are not at zero on the others. And when we've got to do something like run heavy factory machinery, this is what we use for it, this three-phase power. In your house, you've got single-phase power because you're not running anything so big that it can't get that little break of zero every so often. Well, good for us. We've generated power, but how much do we have? Well, there are a couple of ways we measure. First of all, I'd like you to think about electrical current the way we think about water current. Let's imagine a waterfall and you've got a certain amount of drop. There's some water at the top and it can drop so far and the waterfall is only so big and that's going to cause a certain amount of water to flow. Now, the difference between the top of the waterfall and the base of that waterfall could be considered the potential for that water to drop across. And that's like our voltage and our battery. We've got a battery that's got a set of electrons collecting at one end because of the chemical process in the battery, and they want to move around to the other end. Kind of trace a path through. We can complete that circuit, like when we talked about our flashlight, and they will follow that path. When they are moving, we have current, just like the movement of the water is current. Voltage, of course, is measured in volts. Current is measured in amps. Now, there's one more measure that you have heard of for sure if you have even one light bulb in your home, and that is watts. Light bulbs are often measured in watts, and watts are simply what you get when you multiply your voltage times your current and you get a measure of watts that we can use to describe the power that we're operating with. You know, I just realized I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode that to celebrate the start of our second season, I bought some donuts for all of you. They're at the back of the room. So why don't we take a break, get back there, help yourself to a donut, 
and we'll be right back and talk about more terminology. All right, you're back quicker than I thought you would be, probably because you were so excited when I said, come back and learn more terminology. All right, next up, we're going to talk about a couple of the components we can put in a circuit to get some work done. And the first is a resistor. It does what it sounds like it does. It doesn't want to let current flow through it, at least not completely, not the full current. It's going to slow it down a little bit in a sense. What it will do is take some of the energy from that current and expend it as heat. We can use resistors to change the amount of voltage that reaches any specific part of our circuit as well. Next up is a component you've heard of in a funny circumstance, and that is the capacitor. Anybody who has seen the, the movie Back to the Future has heard of a capacitor. But what does it do exactly? Well, if you notice, the name sounds kind of like the word capacity because it has capacity. It can actually store some electricity, just hold a charge for us until we need it. So there are different ways to use this. For instance, let's say we have some electricity that comes to us and we think it's going to kind of fluctuate. and We don't like that. We can put a capacitor into our power supply somewhere so that it gives a nice, steady, even current. Or maybe we think all of a sudden we're going to pull a lot of energy and we need some extra to boost us, we could put a capacitor in a circuit that's going to have a sudden heavy draw, like a big motor that almost looks like a short circuit sometimes to a circuit when we're trying to pull amperage through it. And so the capacitor can give us a little bit of an extra boost. You'll find capacitors in places like a radio that's got a good loudspeaker, or any device you plug into the wall that really needs a lower power, like a DC power, not the AC that your wall current gives you, or in something that has a big motor, like in your air conditioner for your home. Now, I have got a little riddle for you. This will make my point. What's the difference between an open circuit and a short circuit? You give up, the answer is a fire truck. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times we'll be sitting around in the house and the lights will flicker or maybe one light will flicker and somebody will say, hmm, must have a short circuit. Not necessarily. You can make that light flicker by going over to the wall switch and flicking that switch up and down, right? That's probably what's happening. Now, a short circuit is exactly what it sounds like. Electricity has found a path that doesn't require it to do as much work. If you had something accidentally tangle up with a cord to a lamp and cut through it, you might have a shorter path where the current would just go right through whatever was cutting through that wire. You'd probably see some sparks. You might smell some smoke. If we had something that was a little more subtle, it might heat up beyond what the circuit could handle. And that's where the line about the fire truck comes in. A short circuit can cause some very serious problems like that. An open circuit is not the same thing. An open circuit is where we don't have a complete path. And so we lose something, like our lamp going out, but we don't necessarily have a problem. And if you don't believe me, I could come to your place right now and show you probably half a dozen 
open circuits immediately. All your wall switches are open circuits when you have them switched off. That's the point, is to open the circuit so your devices don't turn on. Now, in the case of that short circuit, we plan ahead. We don't want to have some device that has too much current running through it start on fire because it heated up. What do we do? Well, we put a weak point in the circuit that will burn up before anything else does. Once it burns up, it becomes an open circuit. This is the job of a fuse. If you don't have fuses in your house, if you're a little more modern, what you have is a set of circuit breakers that will pop open, create an open circuit when too much current is pulled through them. But even if you've got circuit breakers in your house, you'll find that you have fuses in other devices. For instance, we'll go back to the air conditioner. And of course, your car has got plenty of fuses for all its different circuits. There's another component that is at the heart of a lot of the things that we do, and I have to make sure that you know about that. You've heard of it before. It's the transistor. The deal with the transistor is that it kind of works like a valve. In fact, it replaced the vacuum tube, which was originally referred to as a valve. Here's why. A transistor can control a large output on the basis of a smaller input. That means that if I want a transistor to turn on a big signal, I can send it a little signal. In that way, I can have something switched that I don't directly touch. But another great property of transistors is that some of them are made to vary an output along a range based on an input that's changing along a range. What are you talking about? Well, here's how it might work. With just a few other components added, we might run the output of a microphone, a device that takes our voice and changes a current that's running through it, send that into the input of a transistor, and so we'd have a little bit of current flowing into that transistor, but then out of that transistor would come more current, more powerful, but it would be still shaped just like our voice waves were. So we run that to a speaker, which takes a little more power, and now that speaker is vibrating to match the vibrations of our voice, but with more power behind it, and what we've got there is an amplifier. That's a simple look at a transistor. Now, where you come across these in everyday life could be in radios if you use one, could be in amplifiers when you're playing music at home, but more importantly, the transistors that we use to just switch on and off are in all of your digital components by the thousands or millions. And those are placed on items called chips. You've heard of these? Integrated circuits, right? Those chips can contain thousands of transistors and they are at the heart of a lot of the logic that we run when we run our computers. There's a little thing I wanted to bring up to you called Moore's Law. And Moore's Law was an observation that the number of transistors we could get on a single IC chip seemed to double about every two years. And that might be coming to an end just because we might be reaching the limits of how small we can make these things and package them. That's not for me to say. I don't look into it that deeply. It's just a little interesting side note since we're already talking about components. So why this episode again? This isn't something you can go out and try out. It's not something you can program. It's not something you can build. But a little basic 
terminology will help you navigate some of the things that you're going to research in the future, some of the experiments you might try with components. And so I wanted to make sure that you had a little bit of a feel for what all these things did just to get you started. Now, if you really want to dive into this and you want to get a lot more detail than I gave you, I recommend you go to a site called allaboutcircuits.com. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. And again, I want to assure you, there is no product that I mention on here that I am getting paid for mentioning. There's no website that even knows I'm mentioning them. I don't even have enough listeners that I think they take notice at this point. It's just that I find these things, I believe in them, and I know they are places you can learn from or things you can work with, and so I encourage you to do that. And speaking of encouraging, I know that as you're digging into some of these things and trying to find what's the right technology for me to learn or try, you may hit some roadblocks, you may not have as much time as you thought, you may wonder if you have the right kind of brain to learn this stuff. I assure you that if you keep trying, you will. If one learning approach doesn't work for you, another will. If it doesn't help you to read books on this stuff, then buy the kits, try the experiments, and then change them up and see what happens as you change them. If you are working with Arduinos or Raspberry Pis, there are plenty of programs that are already out where you can get at them, load them up on those devices, and then make small changes to see what you'll get. And after those changes are made, if you don't like them or the program doesn't work, it's very easy to reload the original program again and get your working device back. Whatever you do, if you are trying to make a change, like I was once in my life, and move from some other type of work, and of course I know we target teachers, but it might not be teachers alone listening, do not give up. I assure you that you're going to find some stuff that clicks with you, you're going to find a way to learn that stuff, and you will be able to start making inroads into your education and technology. So keep learning, and thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time. That's all we have for today. This is Dean saying thanks for listening, and we hope to have you back with us next time on Teachers to Tech.